desert dwellers know the sound of a rattlesnake can mean serious and even deadly trouble. I'm Dr. Christopher Edwards, and this is FarmCast. FarmCast comes to you from the University of Arizona, R. Ken Coit College of Pharmacy. As a pharmacy specialist in emergency medicine and an assistant professor at the UA R. Ken Coit College of Pharmacy, my goal is to share useful information that we hope will help you to stay safe and healthy. To help me do that today, Michelle Vaughn, Director of Communications with the College of Pharmacy, will be co-hosting. Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Dudley. Stephen is a clinical toxicologist and the director of the Arizona Poison and Drug Information Center. Welcome, Dr. Dudley, and let's just jump right into today's topic. Sounds fantastic. Thanks for having me. All right, Dr. Dudley, can you tell us about how the Arizona Poison and Drug Information Center has expertise in snakes, snake bites, and treatment for snake bites? Yeah, you know, uh, simply speaking, repetition is key, right? So we see roughly 200 snake bites uh, a year. And so, you know, through that, we have specially trained pharmacists who answer the phones and, and, and assist uh, nurses, physicians, pharmacists, and hospitals across the state. And then we also have specially trained toxicologists who additionally help assist over the phone and go bedside to see these rattlesnakes. So, you know, we train in here. Uh, we have a fellowship program, like you mentioned, Michelle, and that's a two-year program of all things tox. And being in Arizona means you're going to see rattlesnake bites uh, of all shapes, sizes, and colors. So that's really where where we uh, have our expertise at. We are the bread and butter. That, or I say that is our bread and butter. You know, we have the most rattlesnake bites per capita in the U.S. So you're in Arizona. Watch out. Wow. Um, I don't know if that's something we want to be known for. I know I hike and run a lot on our desert trails and in the canyons. How do I best prepare myself when I'm out running and hiking? Yeah, I mean, awareness is key. That's pretty much the biggest thing. You know, rattlesnakes get a bad rep uh, that they are very aggressive and mean. And I'm not saying go out and hug your local rattlesnake, but, you know, they're really they're defensive it, it, more than anything else. And so if they feel threatened, they will defend themselves. And so you're not going to see a rattlesnake chase you. You're not going to see a rattlesnake, you know, jump out the bushes and attack you. What you will see, though, is a rattlesnake that thinks that it's about to be attacked and it will lunge or strike to protect itself. So the best thing you can do is be aware of your surroundings. Um, you know, rattlesnakes, some of the species are really good at blending in. They're predators. They're, they're ambush predators, right? So they need to hide in and attack their prey. So you can try to visually be aware of your surroundings, but that may not always work. Um, one of the best uh, defense mechanisms that rattlesnakes have is that they will rattle when they feel threatened. Now, they don't have to, so huge caveat there, but 99% of the time, they're going to rattle. So if you see a rattle or you hear a rattle, I would say, you know, stop, look around, kind of see where you're at. Um, rattlesnakes, when they're coiled up, that's their I'm ready to strike pose, so to speak, right? When you see rattlesnakes crossing and they're, they're stretched out, they're very, very vulnerable. So if you jump over it you happen to you know you're running and you don't you don't see one until it's like right in front of you and it's stretched out don't freak out hop over it keep it moving right but if you run into one where it's rattled and it's coiled up that's we want to make sure you take a step or two back and reconsider your route um, rattlesnakes can strike about half their body distance so kind of keep you know a, a good sort of a visual measurement if you will but that's the best thing you can do again they're not aggressive they're just defensive so it sounds like being aware, watching my surroundings is the best thing I can do. If I'm not aware of, say, I'm wearing my headphones on and I get bit by a snake, heaven forbid, what do I do? Yeah, so that unfortunately that happens all the time. Uh, that is that is a classic, you know, 
uh, story from EMS or a story from a patient they come in. So, you know, really the only thing you can do for rattlesnake is your, your best rattlesnake kit, so to speak, uh, are car, or is a car keys, you know, so meaning that you get to the hospital. So with rattlesnake envenomation, especially in Arizona, you know, they are, they can be pretty, pretty severe. Uh, and really the only thing you can do about it is anti-venom. And the crazy thing about it is that it may not always look like it's bad. Uh, and so you may need lab values, you may need labs done on you to see like, hey, even though my foot or my hand looks okay, am I having some internal issues with my bleeding uh, that can get out of control without anti-venom pretty quickly? So we have to do a full workup. So hospital is going to be your best friend and really your only option. And now we're in my world, right? So the patient <laughs> got bit by a snake, they come to the emergency department and... I feel really fortunate because all we have to do is pick up the phone, call poison control, and then all of a sudden we get a team of toxicologists that come and, and provide all their expertise. But can you talk a little bit about how that process works? Like, why am I so lucky that I get to work with uh, you guys at the Arizona Poison and Drug Info Center? Uh, well, I mean, one, you're, you're flattering me. You're, you're, you're far too kind. Uh, yeah, so, you know, as a poison center, we are responsible for covering all of Arizona except for Maricopa County, which if you're not from Arizona listening to this, if Arizona were a donut, we cover the donut and Maricopa County is the donut hole. And so, you know, we have a wide uh, geography to cover. And so most of what we do is by phone. And that's very common for poison centers. There's only 55 poison centers in the, in the country. So you can't have tox teams driving four, five, six hours to go see a patient. And so in Tucson, though, we have privileges at two of the hospitals, which uh, Dr. Edwards is referring to. And so we'll go bedside. And what's nice about that is that when you have your your team of physicians and nurses at the bedside seeing this and, and sending orders and working with the ED pharmacist to kind of get you know the optimal uh, patient therapy uh, started, this may be their first or second rattlesnake bite. You know, this may be uh, an envenomation that they had one, it was a drive-by, they had one was really bad, and, and those are very, two very different things. And for us, we see these literally every week. And so it's a bit of an expertise, just like you would if you call nephrology or oncology or, you know, heme or whomever. And we're a consult service that specializes in this. And so we can provide some things that the treating team may miss because they don't see this too often. And what I really mean by that is if you've never seen a rattlesnake bite, especially like on a hand or a foot, like these things look absolutely grotesque. And so the the natural reaction is to freak out. You know, it's, it's the WTF of reaction, right? Absolutely. And so so, you know, what you want to do is, is it's kind of counterintuitive sometimes where it's like, don't don't freak out just yet. Don't call surgery to, to you know, open them up or, you know, get in there. You know, just, just you know, stop. <laughs> do nothing for a second and let us kind of uh, help you out there. So, yeah, but, the, you know, the expertise there is really what we bring to the table uh, and, and be able to really sort of uh, navigate the nuances of our second ventimations and make sure we get optimal patient uh, care. Because that's what it's all about, take care of the patient. Absolutely. So without getting too deep into the nuances, because it's a podcast, we're not trying to make anyone an expert on rattlesnake envenomation, what does that initial assessment look like um, if somebody happens to encounter a rattlesnake envenomation in the clinical setting? Like, what sort of things should they be looking for as they're on the phone with you guys? Any labs they should order, things like that? Yeah, so, you know, for the rattlesnakes, there are three main types of toxicities. You know, there's the cytotoxicity, hemotoxicity, and neurotoxicity. Luckily for us in Arizona, we don't have much of the neurotoxicity, so we can just avoid that altogether. It's really hemotoxicity and cytotoxicity, so the blood and the local effects. Uh, because we don't have neurotoxicity, we get more of the hemotoxicity, so it, it all balances out. So when you're seeing a patient in a clinical setting, you look and you're, you're concerned for rattlesnake envenomation, the first thing you want to do is look at that patient and see are there any obvious signs of envenomation, which are going to be swelling. 
be your number one thing. Looking for puncture marks, which may or may not be obvious. Uh, and then uh, looking for signs of, of bleeding, bruising, things like that. And so if you see any of those things, automatic, you know, don't pass go, you know, don't collect $200. Like that's, that's where I was taking venomation. You want to get poison control on the line and start ordering anti-venom for sure. You know, from a lab standpoint, we're looking at all the things that really relate back to the bleeding risk. So PTINR, PTT, fibrinogen, platelets, uh, those are your, your your big ones. And then you'll, we'll look for hemoglobin hematocrit as well to see if there's any internal bleeding that we can't quite see from a, a visual standpoint. But, you know, very simply put, we're concerned about the swelling and bleeding. Uh, one of the big things that humans have going for us when being bitten by a rattlesnake is that we're large. Right, compared to what a rattlesnake would like to eat, like a, a mouse or a bird. And so, you know, there's a saying in talks that the solution to pollution is dilution, meaning that even though you have venom in you, the best thing you can do is let that venom run through your body because it's going to get diluted down, right? If a patient has, you know, a tourniquet on or if they are bitten on the hand, they have like a ring on that hand, uh, you know, those are all things that kind of constrict blood flow. Well, what happens is you've just now taken your biggest advantage as a human and you've gotten rid of it because now your extremity that's been bedding is the more of the size of some of the snakes are used to eating. And by eating, I mean digesting because snakes don't have teeth. They just have a couple of things, right? And so one of the biggest things from a bedside standpoint is there anything that's constricting blood flow, get that off immediately. Um, now, there is a little bit of nuance uh, if they are late presenters, meaning they, you know, they come in, they were bitten, you know, four, five, six hours ago, they're having obvious effects, and you take that stuff off real quick without starting anti-venom, you're going to release a lot of the cytokines and dead cells. And I don't want to get into too much in the, in the details, but it's bad news. So uh, if there's any concern about that, again, just call the Poison Center. We'll walk you through step by step. So great to have access to such an amazing resource. Um, so once we've done the initial assessment, we've kind of looked at the patient, we pretty convinced that they have a rattlesnake bite or they've got some lab findings that are consistent with it. The next step is antivenom. Can you talk a little bit about some of the options that are available and sort of where they come from and, and how they work? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what a time to be alive, right? We have two antivenoms on the market and, uh, you know, they're, they're both pretty good at what they do in terms of you know, treating rattlesnake envenomations. And so right now, the two main ones are Crofab and Anavip. And so Crofab has been around longer in the market since about 2000. That one is made from four different rattlesnake venom. And so briefly what happens is they collect venom from rattlesnakes. Uh, they inoculate sheep with said venom, collect their antibodies, chop it up, purify it, boom, you've got Crofab. And so uh, those four snakes are from North American rattlesnake species. The other one is Anavip. That's the new kid on the block. That's been out since uh, 2018, I believe. And that one's made from two rattlesnakes, uh, both from you know Central America-ish. Uh, and so same process, venom. This time they put them in horses, grab the antibodies, chop them up, boom, anti-venom. And so um, you know what we're seeing right now is a big switch from crofaps to anti-venom. So if you're in the pharmacy world or the ED world, this is definitely a, a trend, uh, like a sort of a transitory phase for you. But uh, they both work. We're seeing Anavip does have longer coverage, uh, longer half-life, and so we're seeing less of things like delayed and recurring coagulopathies. Um, and so there is some some market shift, so to speak. Uh, but if you are in Arizona, 
really either one of those going to work because we only have rattlesnakes here that are medically important. If you're in Texas or Florida, you know, I think it's a little trickier because you have non-rattlesnake species. But for us, if you have a snake bite, you're concerned about it, and it's not like some dude's pet from like India or something, and which which has happened. It's a true story. Um, then you know it doesn't. You know either product going to work for you. Very nice. Have uh, any of these products gone on shortage? And if they did, what would we do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would suck. <laughs> um, so, so, so no. Luckily, there there is no shortage of either product uh, right now. Again, with there being two markets by two or two products by two different companies, um, you know, we're we're definitely not in that position right now, which is fantastic. If there were a shortage, um, you know, there is no there is no treatment to rattlesnake envenomations other than anti-venom. Uh, what you could do, though, is you could get creative. And again, this is an off-label thing. I'm not suggesting, you know, clinicians do this right now, but there is actually a third anti-venom called Waya. Uh, it's the rattlesnake anti-venin. It's the original rattlesnake anti-venom from like the 1950s. Um, we still will see it used in like pets and whatnot. And so it's a whole IgG molecule. And so, um, you know, it it works. But it is like riddled with adverse reactions. And so the saying was it wasn't if you had adverse reactions to Wyeth, it was when you had it. Yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of definite drawback. But, you know, there are no like true contraindications to antivenom. So even if you're deathly allergic to antivenom and you have a rattlesnake bite, you're getting rattlesnake antivenom. And we're just going to put in the other arm, it's going to put, you know, life saving, you know, anaphylactic medications on board. But you have to get the antivenom. That, that's literally the only answer. Um, now we don't see a lot of deaths in the U.S. Thankfully, from from rattlesnake bites, we do see a couple every year. A big part of that is that we have great access to to care, immediate care, so you know things don't linger on longer than they should. But if you take that away, you know there is definitely the the potential for for mortality. Yeah, fortunately, I never practiced in the Wyeth era, but I've heard horror stories about, like you said, you know, they would essentially set up a, an infusion of medicine to treat the anaphylaxis that they knew was going to happen mm-hmm. um, because that was your only option. So I'm really glad that we don't have to deal with that these days. That's great. It's great to know we have antivenom and so many options. And you said one of the best ways to treat a rattlesnake bite is your car keys and get to an ED. What if you're a backcountry hiker, you're an overnight hiker, you're out of cell phone range, you're hiking with your buddies, and you really don't have access? What's the best protocol? Start start, start packing, start walking, do what you have to do. Um, I mean, because, you know, so so there is a, a whole a whole section of, like, wilderness medicine, right? You know, people who are out, this is your, your bear grills, you know, you're, you're surviving on the land. And, um, again, the, the problem is you, you don't know how bad that – that venom reaction is going to be. So, so venom is a very large molecule. And I say that because what's going to happen is you have your immediate effect, uh, but some of that is going to get into your tissues, get stored there, not really having a huge effect, and then slowly get released over time. So you're going to have this prolonged effect because, one, the initial bite has this venom that's a large molecule, and it's kind of hard for your body to get rid of it very quickly anyway. And then there's more that's going to be released out over time, you know? And so... Again, one of the big things that we've seen bites where a patient gets a bitten on the hand, right, and their hand looks completely normal. You can't tell that there was a, there was an inflammation whatsoever. You think, oh, it's a dry bite. There was no venom. You got lucky. Meanwhile, their their coagula their coagulation monitor, uh, 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 lab studies, so things that will predict if they are at high risk of bleeding, are literally off the charts. We literally can't measure them. They're that bad. And so, should they slip and fall? Now, they're at a much bigger risk of bleeding out internally, and we had no idea. 
And so even if you even if you look fine, you still need all that work. And again, there, there's really just no substitute. There's no natural remedy. There's nothing else you can do but get the anti-venom because it's specifically made to bind that venom, uh, and no other drug does that. Uh, you know, we do have about 20% of our bites in Arizona are dry bites, meaning that there are no clinical effects. So you actually you could get lucky. Don't don't get me wrong, but you've got you've got 80% chance that you're not one of them. So uh, hospital and anti-venom really is the only answer. Hike fast, get to your car, get to a hospital. Yeah. Now, now I will say though. So you know, I, I kind of joke, but it is a, a, an important point, especially for hikers or folks who are out in the wilderness. If you are a bit, and especially like on the lower extremities, like your foot, right? Um, there is evidence, especially in other countries, that kind of show if you say you're bit on the foot and you continue to walk on that foot, you're actually kind of promoting venom uptake and absorption, which could make it the bite worse. Now, if you do nothing you're screwed, right? So the question becomes, all right, well, do I make it potentially a little bit worse to get to treatment faster or do nothing? Do the something, right? Once we get to the hospital, we'll just give anti venom. that's fine. Uh, but I say that so, you know, if you can drive, drive. If you have access to a car or someone can drive you or an ambulance can take you, do that primarily. Get off your feet. You know, don't uh, continue to interact with that, 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 that bits and extremity. But if you have no choice, you have no choice. We'll be back in a moment with more information about how to get a hold of Dr. Dudley and his associates at the Arizona Poison and Drug Information Center. We're back. Thank you for joining us. Let's wrap it up with Dr. Dudley by giving us the information on how to contact you and your associates at the Poison and Drug Information Center. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. And no matter where you're on the U.S., if you dial 1-800-222-1222, you will get your nearest poison sensor and they will be able to help you out. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, suggesting a topic, or if you have any corrections or an omission that you want to recognize, please send us an email at farmcast at pharmacy.arizona.edu. That's P-H-A-R-M-C-A-S-T at pharmacy.arizona.edu. Thank you again for joining us for uh, this episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And uh, that's our show. 